Okay, time for the kids to come on up front. So as we start a new school year, children's time, this time is for anyone about fifth grade or so and under, you're welcome to come on up. You can feel free to have a parent or grandparent or somebody else come along with you if you'd like, if that'd be helpful. So no problem there. Come on up and have a seat. All right. Great to have you guys come up every week. It's fun to have you. It's really neat. All right. So I have some questions to start off with this morning. Okay, everyone ready? If you were going to buy this pencil, how much do you think it would cost? Go ahead. Say it. How much do you think? $200? Yeah, it's a good pencil. Okay. Let's say you were going to buy this bicycle. How much do you think this bicycle would cost? 50000 What do you think? 50, 100 maybe? Okay. Let's say you're going to buy this nice boat here. Ooh, I hear oohs from the adults. How much do you think that? 3,000? 1 million maybe? 300? A bajillion? Okay. Now, how about if you were going to buy a house, but not just any old house, but a mansion, like a super big, fancy house? 6,000? 9 million? Jillian? A million, thousand? Lots, right? That would cost a lot, wouldn't it? Okay, now, I want you to think with me. Does the price you would pay for something, if I told you something costs a lot, you would think it has a lot of value, right? So a price paid tells us something about how valuable that item is, right? So if I told you of a really, really great price that was paid for something, like really great price, would that tell you that that thing purchased was really, really valuable, it would indicate that to you, right? It would tell you that that's really valuable. So in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it tells us of such a thing. It tells us of something was so valuable that it was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the great value of this thing, Jesus, the Son of God, came and died in order to purchase it. What do you think that might be? What was it? Us. Yeah, the church. The church, us, all of God's people. So it says in Acts 20, 28, uh, it talks of the church of God, which Jesus obtained with his own blood. That was the price paid. He had to come and die for the church, for God's people. And so the church is so valuable and important that Jesus was willing to do this, that he bought it, purchased it by dying for it. And so Jesus is God, right? The Son of God. Jesus is God, which means he is eternal in nature. And so the price he paid was eternal. So that tells us about the value of the church, the importance of the church, right? It has an eternal value. It's of eternal importance. And so it's not just the building, right? But as we said, that's us. That's God's people, the church, especially as we gather together and worship. God calls us together as we heard at the beginning of the service. And so there's tremendous value. So if that's all true, if the church has that much value, that much importance, how should we think about the church? Should we have a lot of value importance for the church? Should we see it as really important? Yeah. Should we love and appreciate the church and God's people? Right? Should we come and gather each Sunday morning with God's people and be together as God has called us to? Yeah. Should we treat others really well, love and care for them well in the church? Yeah, we should. We should have a high value for a church, right? So as much as pencils and bicycles and boats and mansions cost, and as much as they have value, the church has so much more, infinitely more value because of the price that was paid, the price of Jesus dying and shedding his blood. So let's be people who give a really high value to the church that was purchased by the blood of Christ. Right? Pastor Jeremy's going to come up and continue preaching about the church. So you can go back and sit and keep listening as Pastor Jeremy preaches. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Good morning again, everybody. We are going to be in Acts chapter 20, uh, 28. So if you want to turn there, please do. My dear wife and family came to Sunday school this morning, and I just asked my wife how Sunday school was. She said it was pretty good. And then she said, I'm going to send you an article on teaching. So I'm full of confidence right now in my ability to bring 
God's word to you. I, it's funny. I think it is funny too. But I, that is one of the things that it took me a while to love about my wife. But it is actually very helpful to me. I, uh, I have need of improvement and she is helpful to that. Uh, when we were first married, we lived uh, with her well, in lacrosse, and then with her parents, and we adopted two boys, and then we moved to North Carolina for seminary. And uh, we, she taught, Mandy taught fourth, third grade? Third grade. I taught high school science, and I was full-time in seminary. And we really struggled to find a church. We were there three years, and it was nearly two years of going to church after church after church, before we found a church, and boy, did we see some stuff. We uh, went to one church, it was a small church, and the pastor would give the sermon, and the whole church would come forward and get saved. And then we went back the next Sunday, and the whole church got saved again. Uh, and I, we went to another church, good website. Everything started off good, and then the music started, and one person stood up dancing over there with ribbons. Another person got up here and started drawing a picture, and it was just utter chaos and, like, too much going on. And we had some difficulties. We had, we have two African sons, and we were in a rural North Carolina area that it was not welcoming sometimes to mixed families. We were in a white church. And we couldn't figure out why nobody would sit by us. And then, you know, we'd go to black churches and experience the same. I mean, we went to one church, everything on the website's in English. You go in and the entirety of it is in Spanish. And but there was one church that we just didn't go to. We went to tens of churches. We tried churches. We did not stay home on Sunday. We went, and sometimes several weeks... But there was one church in a storefront across from Walmart that we just figured wasn't worth it, if you know what I mean. And so we, were, we finally ran out of churches within a, quite a distance, and that was the one left. So we decided to try it, and boy, did we find a good church. Uh, very humble, um, but loving. You know, had plenty of problems theologically and otherwise, and we were just welcomed in, loved, accepted, allowed into ministry in a short time, and really became a highlight of our three years in North Carolina. It was a delight. I think one of the lessons we learned from that is, and there's, the church is precious. After being so discouraged and alone to find a church that loved us that was not in any way externally beautiful or significant was was a, a, a real help to our soul. And so, uh, maybe you have stuff like that, but we what I want to do in the next seven Sundays is talk, preach to you about the value of the church. Um, particularly about Pine Grove, who we are, what God has made us to be, where we're going. I'm doing this because we, as we pointed out last Sunday, have many saints who have been here a long time. And then we have many who have come recently. I want to make sure, starting off fall as ministries ramp up again, to make really plain who we are and what Pine Grove is. Uh, so I'm titling the series, Welcome to PGCC, Welcome to Pine Grove Community Church. And the goal is just to get us on the same page regarding what the Bible says about who we are and actually who we are and what we're doing. And so this, this week is about who God views Pine Grove to be, who Pine Grove is. In my first pastoral experience, just graduated college, uh, not yet married, but hoping to be. I met Mandy. I uh, met with my local church pastor there in La Crosse, David Holt. And I had come to Christ a year or so before that. 
and immediately sensed a call to pastoral ministry. Just kind of hit me. So I met with him to say, what do I do with this? I'm a biology major, and I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. I don't know what to do. And in my meeting with him at Subway, where David brought his own bag of chips, he was very thrifty. Uh, he was describing to me after college, he did an internship at a local church where they mentored him, allowed him a front row seat to what ministry was like or test his call. And so I said to him after he, I said, well, does our church have something like that? Does First Free have something like that? And he said, no. And I said, well, could, you do, could we make one? And so we did. And part of it was he wanted me to have the full experience. So he kind of put together a candidating process for me just to, this is what it would like to be called to be a pastor. So I did that. And one of them was an interview with the elders. And I was describing to the elders my conversion and my call to ministry, and I was talking myself up pretty good. And Randy, one of the elders, stopped me and said, who do you think you are? You think you're God's gift to the church or something? <laughs> and I go, oh my gosh, it hit me. Uh, you know, it was a punch in the nose. And you know, I was thinking about that this week. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Well, he's an elder. He sees the blood-bought beauty and value of the church, and he wasn't going to let some punk kid come in and have any kind of responsibility or authority without putting him in his place. He, he knew the massive importance of the church, his calling to shepherd her, and so he wasn't going to let that kind of pride go unchecked. It starts with the, seeing the value of the church. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want you to see the value of the church. So I'm going to read Acts 20, 17 to 38, but we're going to look mainly at verse 28, which is kind of the heart, the center of this. So this is Paul on his way back to Jerusalem after his third missionary ver, uh, journey. He knows he's probably going to his arrest and death, and he's saying goodbye to a church that he spent the most time at and that was most dear to him. That's the backstory. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you all this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must Help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, help us to tremble at your word. It is eternal, fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth. You established the church. And they will stand fast. Father, teach us the delight in your word so that when afflictions come, we will not perish. We are yours. You have bought us. And so, God, help us to love your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the church, the word itself, is actually a, a compound word in the Greek. There's two words that make up the one word. The two words are to call and out. To call out. Or the ones called out. The called out ones. So the church is described in the Bible with this word that means those called out from the word into this eternal saving relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and knit together in many local bodies, congregations. And this is what God has been doing from beginning to end, calling out his people, hasn't he? Remember Abraham, he called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldeans from his family, from his homeland to himself. He called out Israel out of Egypt to be his people. He called specific individuals. And now, of course, the church are the ones called out by God. And Acts is the true glorious record of God calling out Jews and Gentiles from the world and establishing them in many local congregations like the one here in Acts 20 in Ephesus. So that's what Acts is about. Paul, wonderfully, once a destroyer of God's called out ones, once one who sought out the church to destroy it, became the one that God used to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth and call out many that we would never think would ever become Christian. And so Acts, in Acts, this man Paul takes several kind of around the Roman Empire journeys, preaching the gospel, establishing the church, appointing elders, and then he'd go back and revisit. And Acts 20 is him returning from that third such journey around the Roman Empire, visiting one last time his beloved churches, especially here in Ephesus, where he spent three years, as was noted in verse 31, to see them, to remind them one more time of his ministry and of their duty, of their calling. And so you have this very intimate, special conversation between a father and his sons, between the establishing, founding pastor and those that he's going to hand his beloved church over. And the gist of the conversation is he wants to make very plain to these elders of how important their calling is. He wants to impress upon them deeply that they pay careful attention to themselves, but mainly to the church, to the flock, because there will be trouble. He wants to make sure that they make it from that day till the end day. In faith. And at the heart of his imploring them is his view of the church in verse 28. The first half of this verse, which is the center of this conversation, is pay careful attention. Give the church your all, elders. Like, don't neglect this duty because of what the church is. Now, you might be tempted as you hear that to think of Big C Church. All the Christians in all the places, but that's not who Paul's talking to here, is he? 
He's talking to elders of a local church, of a congregation, of a Pine Grove Community Church-like thing. Not the big C, a small C with an address, with people who gather together to worship with elders and so on. And he says that this church is to be paid careful attention to, that they were made overseers by the Holy Spirit because it is the church of God purchased by the blood of God. And what I want to do is focus on that second half of this verse, to care for the church of God, which he obtained or purchased by his own blood. One of the remarkable things, maybe the first remarkable reality in this verse is this talking about Jesus. Jesus is the God here mentioned to whom this local church belongs. Jesus is God. Jesus purchased that local church that these elders were to give special attention to, careful attention to, because he, this God-made man, shed his blood to buy her for himself. Now, what is true of that local church is true of this local church, isn't it? This is who we are. This is who Pine Grove Community Church in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, in the year 2022 is. We belong to Jesus because he purchased us at the price of his blood. I did a Google search this week of things that people bought at a rummage sale or flea market or so on that they paid very little for that was worth a lot in the end. One story I came up with was a man in a Pennsylvania flea market bought kind of a crumpled up folded copy of the Declaration of Independence for four bucks that was later discovered when the original was written, they made 500 copies of it, only 500 and he had just bought one of them. I think there was only 30 left or something known, or 20-some. And so he bought it, and then he sold it for $2.4 million. <laughs> and so the church is often viewed as a $4 crumpled up piece of paper when it's worth an inestimable amount. Now, of course, we don't mean the value of the building or our assets. We mean the people. So what I want to show you, I want to try to get at your heart, is that you see the church as she is. That you see us as we are, and that you treat us accordingly. So let's start with this, these three phrases in, at the second half, verse 28. The church of God that he obtained, and that he obtained with his own blood. So, church of God. Who is Pine Grove? Who are we? We're Christ's. Again, he's speaking to a local church. He's speaking of local churches. What's true of them is true of us. And maybe to think of it this way, is Christ has linked himself to us in an unbreakable bond. We're his. He has a vital interest in us. He founded us. He cares for us because we're his. One of the things, if you're married to a woman and you invite people over to your home, or maybe I'll do it like this. David Holt, uh, that pastor I told you about in lacrosse, he had a reputation with his wife of inviting college students over without telling her beforehand. And early on in their marriage, she had arranged things for his homecoming, if you know what I mean. And he walked in with like four or five college boys uh, in order to do that. And, you know, a, a woman usually likes to know beforehand when guests are coming because she wants her home in a certain order. Because her home is a reflection of her. She gets a lot of her dignity and value from her tie to your home. I know that can be idolatrous, but that's also just a very good thing. And so typically, if you have people coming over and the house isn't well, it's going to be 15 minutes of stress as mom goads everybody to pick up this and wipe that and 
make my house look presentable because it really matters to her. Likewise, children are a reflection of their parents. An elder can't be an elder unless his household is well-managed. Children reflect their parents. It's the same way with whatever work you do. Dave Franks does leather work. His leather work is a reflection on his talent and care and so on. It's, it's true of all of us. The church is God's workmanship. We're a reflection of him. He crafted us. What a privilege that is. I was trying to think of, is there anything else in the Bible that God speaks of in these terms? Whatever it is of God. Is there anything else, any other object, any other entity where those words are applied to it? Not at all. The church is completely unique. And he is the head of us. He who owns all of creation has a unique attentiveness, care, ownership of us that he has with nothing else. And he is the only head. No pope, no pastor, no civil governing body, no small group, clique of people. We are Christ's. And we are Christ's because he purchased us. That word in verse 28, obtained, is an, a buying and selling word. It's a word of commerce. Most translation would say he purchased. He purchased. Now, we as people do this. We make things and sell them. But applied to God, applied to Christ, that sounds odd, doesn't it? That he has to purchase something. I mean, the, he owns everything. The cattle on a thousand hills. He, he made it all. Why does he have to purchase? Well, because of guilt. Because of sin. He created us. As a people to glorify his name with an obligation to do so and we failed. And so justice demanded repayment of a debt. And unrepayable debt for us in our sin. And he paid the debt. In Colossians 2.14, we owed a record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He paid it. This is what we mean in the Bible when we talk about grace. Christ came to seek and to purchase, to save, to obtain that which was under a great debt, under a great burden. Now, when we talk of those terms, we typically mainly only think of individual people. Christ purchased me. Christ purchased you singularly. And of course, that's true in the Bible. But this verse, and in many other places, the you isn't singular, it's plural. It's talking about a church, a local church. It is true that he purchased you as an individual by his blood if you are in Christ. But here it's speaking of us. He purchased this, us. We. Isn't that something? We don't think of it in terms like that. Consider the glory of this. Had he paid for us. He obtained us. He's made us his own. The heart of the Bible is that God will be our God and we will be his people. That's us. How? By him choosing to purchase us. It's not by our lineage. It's not by some happy random accident. It's not by our striving. It's by his purchase and grace. That's who we are. We're Christ's because he purchased us. And then, of course, the last phrase is with his own blood. 
with his own blood. So we have this mystery right away again. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is God in every way, and yet he became man and had blood flowing through his veins. Isn't that staggering? Oh, how little we think of Christ. <laughs> that that doesn't like blow our minds and put tears in our eyes. Fully God, eternally God, reigning forever as God with all power and all majesty and all, all glory, born of a virgin in a real body with real veins and a real heart and real blood that he would really shed to purchase his people. As Pastor Jeff said, the, the worth of an object is seen in the cost willing to be paid for it. Now, we got to take care here. The high cost that the Son of God paid to purchase us isn't a reflection of our goodness, is it? What's it a reflection of? That Christ would be willing to take on a human body, which he really did, and suffer as he did on the cross. What is that a statement of? Him. His glory. What he's like. His love. It glorifies him. It doesn't glorify us. It doesn't speak to our, like, he just had to have us. I'm starting early. This is not a Hallmark movie where she's a, a beauty worth paying that much for. It's in spite of us. While we were wallowing in our filth, to glorify his love, to communicate to us how great he is in his love, he paid for us by his blood. Now, blood has always been the cost of redemption. Adam and Eve needed God to kill animals to clothe them head to toe, cover their shame and nakedness. We have in Ephesians 1, 7, a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Hebrews 9, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for us an eternal redemption. At the end of time, the saints sing out, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people. Can the church be any more important in this world? Do you know how important the church is? Do you see her for who she is? Luther said of the church this, Therefore he who would find Christ must first find the church. How should we know where Christ and his faith were if we did not know where his believers are? And he, would know, and he who would know anything of Christ must not trust himself, nor try himself to build a bridge to heaven. He must go to the church, attend and ask her. Now the church is not wood or stone, but the company of believing people. One must hold to them and see how they believe, live and teach. They surely have Christ in their midst. For outside their Christian church, there is no truth, no Christ, no salvation. I wonder if you view the church like that. Don't we just view her as take it or leave it? Each local church is whatever it is, and I don't have any commitment to her specifically, any responsibility. I can come and go as I please, treating her as what, a girlfriend, boyfriend, I don't know. Something that I don't really have much of except what I want. John Calvin, a contemporary of Luther's, used the term mother to refer to the church. Listen to how sweet this is. Because it is now our intention to discuss the visible church, the church as we see it, us. Let us now learn from the simple title mother 
how useful, indeed how necessary it is that we should know her. For there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb, give us birth, nourish us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keep us under her care and guidance until, putting off mortal flesh, we become like the angels. Our weakness does not allow us to be dismissed from our mother until we have grown up in her all our lives. Furthermore, away from her bosom, one cannot hope for forgiveness of sins or any salvation. God's fatherly favor favor and the especial witness of spiritual life are limited to his flock so that it is always disastrous to leave the church. Do you see the church as a mother? As your mother. One of the things that if you listen to any kind of secular music, even the most profane rapper, when he raps a song about his mother, he cleans it all up. And he speaks of her in ways that he will not speak of anybody else. So do you love the church? Do you love the church? Paul loved the church, didn't he? He just read his his care for her. He spent three years with them. He served them with humility, tears, and enduring trials. He went into their homes. He didn't do it for personal gain. He worked hard, helping the weak. Why did he do all that? Because she was Christ's, and he paid for her with his blood, this local church in Ephesus. Now, none of us is Paul. We may not have his his, his calling, his gifting, but aren't we to have his heart, his love? Isn't his life an imitation of commitment and care for this church? Notice, though, he does speak of the weakness of the church. He speaks of the weakness of the church. He, he says he's going to help the weak. Don't, don't forget that the church is full of weakness. Every church, even the purest, is only a mix of error and truth. When I was, I don't know how old, I, we had a rather severe pastor for a few years at the church I grew up in. And uh, I was in Sunday school and I lipped off and he smacked me actually hit me. I probably deserved it. That was kind of traumatic. We have that kind of stuff in churches, don't we? Our church is full of it. We have a spotty record. We got spotty people here. What if you let your pet peeves, the things that you demand, dominate your view of the church? What if you don't want drums or do want them louder? Hmm? What if there has to be a women's conference like there is a men's conference? And why won't the elders have a women's conference like there is a men's conference? I don't know what yours is. What if that becomes the thing that you hold on to that you become the church's judge. And that you see the weakness of her leaders. Can you believe he said that again? Can He wouldn't meet with me. Blah, blah, blah. He, 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 he. But if there's programs that you wish we didn't have, how can they do a wanna? It's the parents' job to raise the kids. Why don't they have children's Sunday school? Parents can't teach the kids. The church is full of weakness. What are we for? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 25 to 27. Because this church is so precious, you have to know how to orient yourself to her. You know that God created marriage just so you'd know Christ's love for the church and how the church is to respond to Christ. 
Marriage isn't for marriage. Marriage is for Christ and his church. Here he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Is the church like that now? Are we sanctified? Are we completely clean? Do we have no spots or wrinkles or any such thing? Are we without blemish? Oh, we're full of zits. (laughs) And I'm talking about you. (laughs) And me. Us. This is what Paul gave himself for, for what Christ gave himself for. To build up the church, to see her sanctified and cleansed, to see her ready to be presented to Christ. There is a wide difference between those who see the sins and faults and warts of the church, but seek humbly and lovingly to set about seeing us reformed and those who complain. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in his little book, Life Together, that we used in small groups some time ago and that I would highly recommend. If you're struggling with this love of the church, this is the book to read. It's very readable and short. He says this, We should enter into the life of the church not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We should not complain of what God does or does not give. We rather just thank God for what he gives us daily. And what he has given us is enough, brothers. The sin of our brothers should be a constant occasion for giving thanks. If we do not give thanks daily for Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even when there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness and small faith and difficulty, If, on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all along in Jesus Christ. A pastor should not complain about his congregation, certainly never to other people, and not also to God. Christian community is like the Christian sanctification It is a gift of God which you cannot claim. So do we view the church like this? As a place to come to love. 1 Peter 4 that we use in the time of confession. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers over a multitude of sins. And that's what we have here. We have a multitude of sins. Do you see the church simply as a privilege of being a part of? That you're very grateful for. What a privilege it is, as Bonhoeffer says, to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. Do you yearn for it? That's what the church is. So love her. Let me close with a few considerations. First of why we may not have this kind of affection and we may not sometimes live with her with such love. One is just our pride. This is the sin of sins, the besetting sin of root of all other sins that spring up in our lives. We think too highly of ourselves. We view ourselves as independent. Mainly we view the church maybe like a chiropractor. Sorry if you have affection for a chiropractor or a chiropractor in your family. But like, you're not really sure if they do what they claim to do. But when something's out of whack, you'll go but otherwise, you're good and don't need them. That's, I think, how we view the church a lot. We may prioritize our family above the church. We may think that the church isn't even necessary to the raising of our children, parents. We have this over-realized view of family. And we give ourselves to family activities, family hobbies. And can I tell you, In my pastoral experience, which is approaching 20 years, those families that give themselves in love to the church, they often have much healthier families than those families that prioritize the family over 
into the neglect of the church. Kids don't need to be the center of your of the world. The church does. It may be that you just have such a low view of yourself and your gifts and your usefulness to the church. And so you just don't see much use for yourself there. It could be just worldliness. But isn't every part of the church necessary to her? Aren't we all parts of the body of Christ? Vital. And just as if your pinky toe is hurting, it affects the whole body. If your throat is sore, it affects the whole body. You are absolutely necessary and placed here by Christ who has purchased this body by his blood, you included. So what should you do? How do you apply this? Well, first just pray. Pray for the church. It is really hard to not give yourself to something that you're praying for. It's very difficult to become a complainer and a griper if you're praying for somebody, to demand more if you're praying. So pray for us, please. Pray for our pastors, pray for our elders, pray for our deacons, pray for each other, pray for those in your small group, pray for those that you are irritated by. Pray for our sanctification, for our growth. Pray that we'd be more evangelistic. Give yourself to praying for us, this blood-bought body. Second, renew love. If you don't have brotherly affection, if you don't have earnest love, confess it to God. How can we not love us who have been bought by the blood of Christ? And what a measurable goodness you have been to me. I went through this week and made a list of many of you and little things you've done for me. And it was so happy and full of joy. Help me to love you. Renew your love for us. See us. Delight in us. Give. And then start small. So pray, renew love, and start small in doing something. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe you're not giving at all financially. Maybe it's serving in the nursery. Maybe it's lingering more than 30 seconds after the service. And you're going to try 40 this week or something. Maybe it's a neighborhood small group. I don't know. Fourth, look around and look at somebody that you see does love the church and is invested in her. Ask him or her to lunch or breakfast or coffee and ask the question, what causes you to love the church like you do? How did you get there? Humble yourself. Ask for help. Fifth, express thanks. One of the chants we have at Armist Day for the kids is thank your teacher, thank your teacher, thank your teacher. So the kids have to chant that, and it is incredible. When we get done, I teach Bible in the morning, I get done, they all stand up and say, thank you, Mr. Vandergallion. And, and it, you can see it does something, their demeanor. Be thankful for. So here's a challenge. Find one thing in the next week, one person that you're thankful for, and let him or her know. Not with a text or with an email, but maybe with a card or a phone call or a donut. I recommend a donut. Maybe do three this week or one a day. What are you grateful for? Tracy and Brian Hola brought apple pie for the pastors this week, and it was good. I have been lovingly rebuked in the past week about something I've said, and it was really good for me. Dave Richmond said after the, or during the membership meeting last week that I shouldn't be so concerned about time and preaching. I really appreciate that, Dave. Right? Isn't there so much to be grateful for here? Yeah. All right. Let's, let's pray. Father, help us in our attitude and affection for your 
church that your son owns because he's purchased by his blood. And so God, have mercy on us in this way, that we might know your love more, that we might be more filled with delight in you, and that we might receive reward at the end of time. And so God, help us to love your church because it's yours and because you do. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge comes from John 21. It's this very intimate scene on the beach after Jesus' resurrection where he meets with Peter. And he said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Remember that? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my lambs. Again, the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So singing of Christ's love, the way that we love Christ according to Christ is by loving his church. And we're not all called to feed in the sense of teaching. But if feeding is a kind of giving, and we're to love by giving. And so, what is one way this week that you can give love to us? May Jesus Christ... Give peace to us, his blood-bought church. May he get us, give us love for each other. May his grace be with all who love him with incorruptible love. And to him who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, made us his church, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion in our church and in this world forever and ever. And amen. God bless you. Have a good week in the Lord, and I love you.